0: Welcome to the Think Like a Champion podcast. The podcast where we reveal the mental strategies of elite performers so you can apply them to your own life and raise your game. I'm your host, Harry Wilson, and on this episode of Think Like a Champion, I'm joined by dancer, model, TV host, fitness instructor, and CEO of Love Squad, Ali Love. In today's episode, we are going to talk about how to be an overcomer. Ali has an incredible story about overcoming life's obstacles, and we are excited to share with you all the practical advice on how you can overcome the challenges in your life. All right, Allie Love, thanks for joining us today. You know, it's funny this morning. I took about 6.15, got on my Peloton. Um, I actually took one of your 30-minute feel-good rides. I was vibing this morning, got it going. And um, so thank you for getting my my day started. And thanks for coming on the podcast.
1: Of course, Harry. Excited to be here.
0: You said You said one quote. You said, a powerful person is someone who knows how they feel. I know this is a feel-good ride. Before we kind of get into the the flow here, like, what, is that, what does that mean? Like, what did you – I don't know if you can harken back to when you said that or those. That, that's a quote you use often, but how do you – what does that mean to somebody who's riding a Peloton or who somebody who's just trying to get through their day?
1: Absolutely. In terms of this idea of power, actually the topic of this particular class, this feel-good ride, it was 30 minutes – um, the reason I, I, I focus on this idea of power, the concept of power is one, it's such a buzzword and everyone uses it. And two, I get annoyed by buzzwords like be your authentic self and self-care. And while I talk about all these things, the reason I do dig deep in them is because they shouldn't be trendy, they should be reality. And three, when we when I talked about when I started to think about power last year. And it was one of my powerless years. While I was powerful in my personal life, I felt like in my professional, and my creative life, I felt powerless. So I started thinking about when did I feel most powerful? And the times that I felt most powerful was when I knew what I felt and what I thought. And it didn't matter if you, you and I, Harry, agreed on something. It wasn't being right that made me powerful. It was me being able to articulate what I was feeling and what I thought or what I was thinking. yeah. And so power is still one of the things that I'm constantly thinking about. And I brought it to the ride to continue that level of humanity and vulnerability to say, I feel many times I feel powerless, but I know when I'm powerful, it's not when I like have on the best outfit or like the best shoes or everyone knows my name in the room. It's actually when I'm able to articulate what I think and how I feel. And so that's something that I've been thinking about for the last few months. And it is something that I've been saying to myself and, and starting to share publicly.
0: I love that. Ali, you have a remarkable story. Let's just start at the beginning. Okay. You were hit by a car at the age of nine as a child, and you were told you'd never walk normally, be able to run, be an athlete. You ended up being a fitness instructor, ended up being an athlete, a dancer. Can you take us back to that time and the mental and physical challenges you were facing and how you had to start to overcome those?
1: Yeah. The the story of being hit by a car, it's interesting because I started telling this in the top of the pandemic. So that was in March of 2020. And I never shared the story I don't like when people take pity, um, but everyone has a testimony. Um, Everyone has life quakes. Yeah. And apparently— They can happen at any point in your life. But for uh, many people, lifequakes happen maybe five to six times uh, throughout your lifetime. Most, they say, majority of people have lifequakes between the age of 30 and 60. Obviously, for me, I experienced a lifequake at nine years old. A lifequake is a life-altering moment. For example, many people have lifequakes if they have kids, when they get married, when they've lost someone they've loved, um, when they had a traumatic or experienced a a traumatic event. Any of those things are lifequakes. And while it could be uh, glorious, but also kind of gritty... I think what the reality of the the point of a life quake and understanding is no matter how glorious or how gritty it is, the transition period is the primary point of a life quake. And a transition period can be anywhere from three to six months usually, but can also last up to a year. And so that goes for, again, like that glorious moment of starting the job you've dreamed of. Like that's going to change your whole life. You move somewhere, that's a life quake, you're starting a job, but it's going to take a transition of meeting new people, um, acclimating to the new place, or, you know, acclimating to being married, or being divorced, all of these things, right? There's a transition period. The gritty moments too, for me, when I got, it happened a little earlier than 30, but um, at nine years old, I got hit by a car. It altered my life forever. I almost died. I was at a family barbecue and basically, you know, I went to the ice cream truck. You hear that beautiful sound and you're just like, okay, I want it. I got to have it. Kid, Like, that's what it is. And so I was like, yep, I definitely got to get a chocolatey claire right now. And so- I go there, get the ice cream, and I'm walking across the street, look both ways, just like your parents taught you as a young girl. I look both ways. And unfortunately, and maybe fortunately at this point, as I look and reflect over my life, the timing couldn't be more perfect or imperfect. However, the perspective we're going to take, it couldn't be more perfect because this life quake that that I experienced actually sent me on a trajectory. So a car was parked behind the ice cream truck, came from behind, hit me, flew up in the air, broke my left femur. So I have a huge scar on my left leg, broke all my, my teeth and scarred up my body. Wow. Went to the hospital. I was in the hospital for seven days. Things weren't looking good on that kind of fifth day. And the doctor pulled my parents aside, my mom and my dad, and was just like, hey, you know, she's losing a lot of blood. Um, I don't know if her body can take a blood transfusion. There was a lot of complications that they, you know, the educated folks know about. But it's not looking good and you might want to talk to her. And So my mom came back in the room and in this moment, so basically she posed to me, you, you know, the doctor said it wasn't looking too good. And. You can either decide to let go and go on because you're fighting really hard, or you can decide to pray and fight for your life. And she was like, if we, my, your father and I could trade places with you, we would, but we can't. But it's totally up to you. And so for me, when I think of, of my mother saying that to any child, let alone her nine-year-old daughter, I felt like there was a strength, there was a courage, there was a boldness, there was an honesty, there was strong faith in God in that moment. And for her, I don't think she saw it as such. I think she was like, this is my last resort kind of thing. But in my mind, when I look back, you know, I don't think I would have been able to give my child that onus or, or, or that responsibility to make decisions around her life. I would have told her what to do. And my mother didn't do that. She did something that altered the course or the trajectory of my life is that she put me in a position at nine years old to decide what I wanted to do with my life. And in that moment, of course, you know, I'm pretty sure you can ex- can potentially tell how the story ends, but I, I decided to continue to pray and fight for my life. And those are the two things that I continue to do to this day. I never stopped fighting for me and for my family um, and finding my yes in the world. Uh, but I also never stopped praying and believing in God. And so I think that was um, something that changed the course. And that was a life quake. Uh, and the takeaway from that is that I always... You know, every day we make decisions. And so we can either be uh, aware that we're making the decisions, even when we're not making decisions, or we can kind of go through aimlessly and not confront that. And so I think that she provided me the perspective, the res- the, the ability to garner responsibility, because sometimes you're not given it, sometimes you're not aware of how it, but sometimes you have to dig for it. You're like, I'm responsible for my own feelings. I'm responsible for these decisions. And she afforded me that. And so that life lifequake altered the trajectory in the sense that I came on, I went on to be a dancer, even though the doctor said that I would never probably be an athlete. They're like, you know, keep in mind, she'll have arthritis by the time she's in high school. So being an athlete just might not be in the cards and she might, you know, just be mindful there, there are going to be some challenges along the way. And so I ended up pursuing dance. And from there it brought me to New York and I'm able to get to not only the point that I am, but experience the things that I've experienced in my life.
0: That's amazing, you know, Ali. We, our team at Limitless Minds and our our, our late co-founder Trevor Mowat, I mean, that was like the foundation of what Trev brought to like Russell's world as his as his mindset coach was this whole idea around neutral thinking, this whole idea around non negativity, and not so much how we think, but what we verbalize out loud and then the power, the weapon, you know, that our words can be, um, you know, weaponized against us if they're not productive. Tell tell me a little bit about. You know, kind of the aftermath of that that lifequake, right? But how that's influenced the way you think about productive self talk today?
1: Absolutely. Words can are, and I always say this: the the catalyst for change is always conversation, and it, it's sincerely the things that we are bringing into our bodies, whether it's through a conversation, something we heard on music on TV, um, something we're reading through the media that we consume. That actually alters what we think, who we are and how we navigate our lives Yep, yep. and the perspectives that we have. And so as someone who, you know, again, wanted to become this dancer, I was like, you know what, I'm going to be a dancer. I'm moving to New York. I got afforded the opportunity, got a full scholarship to Fordham University and Lincoln Center, got a full scholarship, Alvin Ailey, got my bachelor's in fine arts, study of theology, the study of religion I was like on my way to be myself. I experienced many nights and many weeks and months feeling alone. Nobody lived in New York. I didn't have family anywhere in New York City. I felt by myself. It's a big city. It's a lot of people. You're very close in proximity, but very far apart in in, in connectivity. Um, And so I think for me, one of the things I realized is that that if I started to consume content that was negative, I end up being negative. I end up kind of assimilating, you know, you assimilate to your surroundings. If your surroundings are the content that you are consuming, you're feeding your mind on your Instagram feed, on your TikTok feed. That's what it is. It's you're feeding, you're consuming. And so I had to step back um, after a few years of being in New York and sincerely. I would say, reclaim agency over this because I wanted to feed myself good things because I knew that if I was feeding myself good things and good things I would think, therefore good things I would do. And it took a while for me to get to this point. And so when we come back to this concept of power, which I'm really, I told you, kind of sinking my teeth into this idea of power and how does it come up or how is it manifested or planifest it, which is a new concept that I'm working on, planifest, where you manifest, but you also plan. Um, I can't take credit. My hairstylist, Ricardo, we were talking about it and he came up with it. And it's through your community that you get the best ideas through conversation. Uh, but sincerely, it was, you know, when we think about power, when I felt, again, most powerful, it's when I was telling myself, and I was altering or transitioning from consuming negative music or things that have impacted me negatively, because I don't want to say people's music are, is negative, but because it can impact you in different ways. But when I would, when I would, you know, consume music that was making me feel um, less than, or if I was consuming media or following people on social that made me feel um, less than, you know, and, and devalued, I realized and recognized that I had power. I can take back the power and change that narrative. And I could change a narrative. And so one of the things you and I, Harry, talked about is you came on and said, you know, thank you so much for joining. We know you're very busy. And I stopped you and I was like, I'm sorry, I want to stop you. And and I I want you to know that I'm not busy. I'm productive. And the reason wasn't for me to correct you. It was for me to not internalize the concept of busyness. I don't subscribe. I had to unsubscribe unsubscribe three years ago to being busy because we glorify um, and glamorize being booked and busy when actually being busy isn't being productive. You can do a lot of things and it amounts to very little. And you can do one thing that amounts to a lot. And so it's 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 really coming back to what am I saying to myself when I get out of bed? How do I want to feel? In a feel-good ride, I want to feel good. I want to feel good today at literally the most basic level. I just want to feel good. In order to feel good, I got to have good thoughts. I got to have good conversations. I have good people around me. And all of those things come from, again, coming back to, being aware of what am I saying to myself? How, who are, What are the conversations I'm having every day? Who are the people and what are they saying to me? What's the content that I'm consuming? And so it's reclaiming agency, but also claiming my narrative and saying that I'm not busy, I'm productive, correcting when I have, you know, first thought, not best thought. I can't control my first thought, but I can control maybe my second or third and just say, okay, I feel crappy today, but how do I want to feel and how do I get there?
0: This is, you know, this is... Um... This is something that we talk about a lot with our team, right? Is is our inner dialogue, and, and you you touched on some things that are really important. So, really, you, really, you're talking about having like a negativity diet, right? You know, like in 2021 was a, for me was a year where I really focused on kind of how what I'm consuming from a from a nutrition perspective. But it's the same thing, though. It's really similar to our ne- like how the, what we consume, like garbage in, garbage out. Was what you're really talking about, right? It's like the time that I spend on social media, how much news I'm watching, right? The people are, that are around me—these are things that we all control. These are things that we all control. And so, you know, if if for listeners that are that that are really trying to take all those nuggets that you said and activate that into their lives, right? They might be whether they're fighting with a health battle whether they're whether a new job, a new promotion, or maybe they're even trying to handle success. That's another challenge, right? Like, hey, I'm having success. How do I stay on top? How do I continue to, you know, to to succeed? You know, give us one or two things that people can do today that will help them leverage, you know, their thoughts and turn those into productive action.
1: When I do say writing, that would be my first tip, but I would like to reclaim or redefine what that means. Writing is not writing in a a dear diary or dear journal. You don't have to start with any deers at all. Um, But it's just, you know, what I do is I'll write a word down in my book. I'll literally get up. And I can imagine many people that are listening have kids. They have maybe more than one job. You know, they have to take, they may be a caretaker. They may be an essential worker. They just may be tired right now. Like I'm just tired, life is overwhelming. And so for me, I think that it's kind of reclaiming what those words mean. And so in your phone or in a notebook, maybe today your writing is one word. Maybe it's no, maybe it's just two letters and allowing that uh, process to be consistent. So the first thing is one, let's let's write in a way that works for us. Every day you write down something. It could be a word, it could be a sentence, it could be a novel, but what works for you this day. And don't say well I'm only doing this Monday through Friday and then on the weekends I'm going to have a good time. No. It's, let's go ahead and do this every day. What is that word for you today? And maybe you don't like to write. Maybe you don't even like to put things on paper. So maybe you don't write it down, but every morning you are aware and conscious of what's your word for today. And you you allow yourself maybe a, a little alarm clock on your phone to say, oh, let me come back to my word. Let me come back to my word. The second thing that I will say, most importantly, above anything is consistency. I think that when I first started at Peloton, I um, Most people are great at climbing on the bike. I'm like, and add resistance. It could be a progressive climb. It could be a steady climb. It's really hard for people to hold, maintain a steady pace over 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. Endurance is a very uh, uh, challenging superpower. Yeah. And most people don't have it. And the reason is because it is one of the hardest things. We can do something once. It's hard to do it consistently every single time. And so I think that consistency in whatever you're doing is oftentimes going to get you to your point, your milestone more so than anything else. So if that one thing is writing or visualizing a word or putting on your favorite song, the point of doing that isn't just to do that to make you feel good in that moment. The point of doing that is point two is for consistency. I love that. And by doing that every day, And, you know, again, we can't do everything every day. So I don't want people to feel like they have to do something every day. I always say I have a rule of um, never two in a row. So you may miss a day. That's fine. But don't miss two days in a row. Just that, stick to that rule. It really does help you. So you can do every other day forever and still feel successful.
0: I love that. I mean, you talk about the consistency. And that's one reason I get a lot of questions a lot of times like, hey, I heard you guys train mental toughness. Hey, I want to be more mentally tough. And that's great. Right. I mean, of course, that's an outcome we're looking for. But we a lot of times will. We'll kind of reframe that and say, listen, actually, what we work with people on is mental conditioning, mental conditioning. Right. And because that conditioning piece is what helps build adversity tolerance over time, allows us to be more consistent, whether it be under pressure moments when, you know, when the winds are changing. Right. It's that conditioning. It's like running a marathon. Right. Um, You can't just I can't just I can't decide today that I'm going to run a marathon next weekend. Right. There's there's a set of training that's required. Right. Now, you mentioned also this concept or there, this concept you guys, I think you talk about quite a bit, bossing up. Right. Uh, bossing up. And um, can you explain a little bit more about what that means? I know you founded a company called Love Squad. Right. It empowers women to unleash their inner boss. Right. To live healthy and fuller lives. Um, for our for our listeners looking you know, for motivation and encouragement. What can you tell them about bossing up and what that means and you know, why that terminology?
1: Absolutely. It goes back to exactly what we're talking about. It was restructuring the narrative around the word boss. Um, I remember, again, comes back to Peloton. Peloton was a lifequake for me. I already was hosting for the Brooklyn Nets. I had my company, Love Squad, prior to coming to Peloton. And after a year of being at Peloton, maybe people wouldn't be happy that I said this, but my first year I sucked. And I don't use that word lightly. Like I don't talk, you know, we talk about how are we talking about ourselves. When I look back and in that moment... I was not good. And it wasn't that I just like wasn't talented. So that's different. I just was not good because I didn't have the tools in my toolkit to navigate this new job. And I just had to figure out how to do this differently. (laughs) And so I remember meeting with one of the girls that worked at the company at the time. And she asked me a simple question. And she said, when people come in that room and you clip in, how do you want to feel when you get on the bike? I said, because, you know, at this point I had people, I felt like people didn't know that, that I knew a lot of things. So I want to feel like I'm the boss of the bike. Like I'm in charge of this machine and everyone needs to listen to me. Right. And what ended up happening was the definition of boss change. I changed the definition, changed the definition of riding. changed the definition of what it means to boss and boss up. A boss is someone who sets the standard. So you don't have to follow all the rules in terms of, okay, well, we only do this. We only do this. You need to innovate. You need to come up. So I came up with the feel-good ride. I came up with the get-lifted ride. I came up with hitting hills. I started to innovate around in the space that I was in. I was like, I think we could do things a little differently, a little better. A boss is someone who sets the standard. I'm going to work a not. i I'm not going to outwork everyone around me, but I'm going to work a little smarter. I'm going to have conversations. I'm going to get asked for help, which is, oh my gosh, so important at setting standards. I'm going to ask for help. I'm going to listen. I'm going to read. I'm really going to become a student of, of this uh, space that I'm in. And the second thing of being a boss is, You have, so not only do you set the standard, but you establish the tone. When I walk into any room, any Zoom, I clip in on any bike, I step on any mat, just with all of you listening, just as well as you, Harry, you can affect people positively or negatively with your energy. You come in with a, you know, with negative vibes. People around you, they're like, oh, they're going to back off a little bit. They're going to give you space. They're not going to feel good in that moment. And so that's power in itself, right? Again, knowing how you feel, knowing how you are, how you feel and how you affect those around you. And so this concept of being a boss isn't managing people or having a bunch of money or like looking flashy. It's not masculine it's whatever you want it to be, right? It's taking out of, it's changing the definition, reclaiming the definition and redefining it. And so a boss is someone who sets the standard and establishes a tone. You can set standards, you can work smart, you can innovate, you can ask questions, you can ask for help. And most importantly, your energy is contagious. So be mindful of how you're walking in spaces and decide how you want people to feel because they will feel that way. And that's what it means to boss up.
0: How do you? How do you, Allie? like how do you like for listeners that are like, dude, I love this. When I go into that next meeting, I want to set the tone. Right. How does is there is there something you can one or two things you can tell a listener to to kind of do in their next big meeting or that next big moment to to be that tone setter?
1: Yeah, I'm all about again, I'll go back to basics. Have you ever seen kids when they watch their TV shows, their YouTube stuff? I don't know. And. The character or the cartoons come on and they're smiling and like singing and all that good stuff. And the kid smiles and laughs and like starts to dance side to side. That is exactly it. It's super simple. You come in a room and you smile, people will smile. You come in a room and you frown, people will frown. You can be a private person. You don't have to share your business. No one knows much about my personal life, but I'm very transparent in that if I come in and I'm not feeling it, I let everyone know I manage expectations. Hey, I, I do want to have good energy, but my energy is low today. So bear with me I, again, be transparent, manage everyone's expectations, be mindful of their energy, their space. Right. And so I think it's understanding that coming back to the basics, it's a simple smile because what ends up happening is a smile, just like it makes your kid feel comfortable, at ease, makes them enjoy whatever the program is. It does the same thing to adults. It's so simple. A smile goes a long way. Don't have all the right things to say. That's not the point of being a boss. That's not the point of bossing up. It's just being transparent. And then I think the other thing in terms of setting standards, it goes back to writing down ideas that, you know, those things that I write down every day, Mm-hmm. It's just manifestation. It's planning your manifestation. You know what you want. You speak about it. You tell people about it. And that's exactly what it is. Same thing goes with, honestly, um, when you're setting the standard. What are those ideas? Write them down. First thoughts, not always the best thoughts. Sometimes they are. Write them down. You can talk to them with your friends. I have a group that I call um, Dreams and Drinks. So we just have, you know, we meet up usually around once a month or once of every two months. And we just talk about our dreams, the big dreams that no one that people you feel like could judge you for over cocktails. We have dreams and we have drinks. <laughs> and those are those ideas. And so I think setting standards doesn't mean you have to come up with the best idea. It's just that every day consistently, maybe you write down a thought or an idea or whatever comes to you. And so that's that's what I mean in terms of make it basic, write it down, talk about it. That's how you manifest it. And then most importantly, when it comes to it being setting that like that energy or setting the tone just smile. Your kids do it every day when they watch their watch their favorite TV show. Learn from them.
0: I love that. I love that for uh, that word planifestation.
1: I know, right?
0: I love that. So I'm am adding that into the to the roster. So I I have I have like a question and a half to ask you okay. before before we before we sign off as we close. So so first, just quickly tell me about how important recovery is to you. And then, you know, what's like maybe the number one thing listeners can do to make sure they they put that placemark, that bookmark in their day or their week or their month to recover? And
1: so when we think of recovery, most times we think of someone taking a day off or um, someone not working out um, or someone going to get a massage. While none of those things are wrong, the idea of changing the re- concept of recovery or the definition of a recovery is really important. Everyone recovers differently. Your recovery and my recovery is going to be completely, completely different. Your body, whether it's a physical recovery or mental recovery. And so it comes back to understanding what makes you feel rejuvenated. Some people going to watch a movie that's in a movie theater by themselves or being by themselves is recovery. For me, that's not recovery. Me having conversations with people that I feel safe with, I feel re-energized. I feel recovered. People taking a week off from work. Again, with their family going on vacation, they feel recovered. Other people are like, I need another vacation from my vacation. It's really being mindful of what recovery means to you. In recovery, it's important to your training is that you do put in the work to help you re-energize physically and mentally, whether it's reading a book, listening to your favorite music, music that relax you, being quiet, meditating, praying. I pray a lot. That's, that's something for me mentally. Those are the things. So, prescriptively, you should have a recovery day once a week. Always a recovery day—a day you're taking care of your body.
0: Right, right. And
1: so, a rest day is where you you actively or try actively as yes, try to do least the least amount of things as possible, where you do nothing. Right. So, sit there and watch your favorite TV, or sit there and put on eight movies in a row for you and your kids to watch. That's rest. And from rest, when, from recovery and rest, becomes strength. Yeah becomes power
0: i love it i love it i love it i mean we listen we've got a chance to talk about quite a bit today manifestation yeah. we talked about you know rest and recovery we talked you know we talked about how we have productive self-talk um and as a sign off to the listeners you know what's maybe what's that what kind of final advice you have for for those that are that are listening about overcoming you know what what takeaway should they remember um after this podcast
1: I'll say two things. The first thing is no one's doing it right. No one's getting it right. No one's right all the time. Um, And just keep, I think keeping that in mind is that everyone is sincerely trying their best. I don't care what their title is. I don't care how much money they have. I don't care how many companies they built or didn't build. I don't know. I don't care where they live, um, what their last name is. Everyone's just out here trying their best. They don't have all the answers. They don't know everything. And that's okay. And if, and I'm one of those people, I don't know everything. So I don't ever want to sound self-righteous. The second thing that I often remind myself and that I think is a takeaway is never compare your behind-the-scenes or your rehearsals to someone's on-stage performance. And I think we often do that. Like you, you, you speak a lot, Harry, about game day. Most people are like, oh my gosh, you, you see game day, you, you, you see the finished product of, of what happened in practice. And then you compare your practice to game day's performance. And the reality is those two things, while related, are completely disconnected and have different approaches. And so your behind-the-scenes, while it, it's not completely... Any less beautiful than anyone's performance? Just know that it has its own space and its own right. So again, it's, it's understanding that no matter you know who you are, we're all out here trying our best, and no one really has it right or is getting it right and knows everything. And yeah, don't compare your behind the scenes with someone else's performance. You are good enough already.
0: I love it. I love it. I love that. Well, that's great. Well, listen, we I really appreciate you joining us right on the Think Like a Champion. Podcast, you are just that. You're a champion. You're still, and you're still. Your story's still being written. And really, the for you, I really feel like the best is ahead. And and um, so we so we appreciate your time. And you know, we look forward to kind of continue to see you soar. And um, yeah, good luck with everything coming up. Really appreciate you. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to the Think Like a Champion podcast with Ali Love. We hope that you learned one or two things that you can take home with you today to be able to overcome the challenges you're facing in your life. And remember, you don't have to be sick to get better.